My guest for the day grew up in alien-filled Roswell, New Mexico, skateboarding and teaching himself magic tricks. He started performing professionally and made a career out of his childhood obsession, landing him in front of Hollywood stars and even David Blaine. I'm Ben Brown, and this is the Madisonian Podcast. When researching amazing Madisonians to talk to, I came across Matthew Teague and his magic. I watched a short film made on his work and became increasingly amazed by his many types of magic. Subscribe to our weekly newsletter on our website and please enjoy my interview with the incredible magician Matthew Teague. My name is Matthew Teague and I'm a professional magician. Um, yeah, I was born in Las Cruces, New Mexico. I was pretty much raised in Albuquerque and Roswell, New Mexico, um, mainly Roswell. Uh, it's a real small town, not a whole lot out there, a lot of stories and folklore and uh, urban legends about aliens, right. etc. Yeah, but it's just a, a desert pretty much. So, um, you know, my, my formidable years, I spent a lot of time, I guess, working on the craft. It was sort of my, my, uh, my way of um, daydreaming and, you know, imagining something more than than what was around me at the time so what was growing up on like you know in this like kind of desert-ish landscape what did you do for fun and like uh well you know at the time i was exploring a lot of different things um it wasn't just magic at the time i you know i was really into art um i used to skateboard and uh you know I tried to write music um just really uh trying to find i guess a, a way of expressing myself um, in its entirety. But magic was always sort of there in, in the beginning because my grandfather used to do magic tricks. So I always loved it. Um, but when I was 12 years old, I saw a professional magician named Paul Cockrell out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. And he had done some really amazing magic for a waitress. And he was a friend of my brother's. Um, and I just was completely hooked. I loved it. So I spent pretty much the rest of that summer in the library trying to figure out how he did everything. Um, so and in the process, studied the, the history. Yeah. So how what, what were how were you learning? Like, uh, did you have like mentors, or were you just reading books? And how much did you practice it? And what did you like feel when you were doing magic? Like, what was that experience for you? Yeah, um, in the beginning, yeah, it was a lot of self-taught stuff. You know, I spent a lot of time just trying to educate myself, um, learning as much as I could. There wasn't as many resources. The internet didn't have you know a ton of secrets on there. Um, not the way that it is today. There, it was harder to get the secrets, I think, which made them feel more, more special uh, or sacred almost. Um, I felt like as if there was like the secret society that I'd been initiated into and I had this access to information that I shouldn't have access to. Um, it was sort of like uh, having the, the manuals to becoming a black belt or something. You're like, but I'm only a white belt. I shouldn't even have this yet. Um, yeah. So did it, did it come easy to you? Yeah, I guess... You know, I didn't realize it at the time, but um, I, I suppose it, it sort of did. Uh, when I was about 13 was when David Blaine's Magic Special had dropped and same with World's Greatest Magic. So I had spent a lot of time kind of reconstructing some of their pieces and I didn't realize that I was recreating them in different ways. So later on when I had run into, when I had ran into other magicians that were professionals, I would show them what I had worked on 
and they tell me that that's not the way that it was supposed to be done. And I didn't know any better, um, but, you know, haphazardly, I started creating uh, methods really early on. So I didn't realize that that was a rare thing at the time. Later on, as I got older, I realized that that was kind of uh, something that you can't really teach everybody. Who were you performing to at this time? And what kind of magic were you learning at the beginning of, of your learning magic? Yeah. Yeah, uh, mainly it was close-up. My first was was, car- was coin magic. I, I had gotten a book called Bubbles Coin Magic. And at the time, I, I wasn't very studious. So it really uh, immersed me in, in that world. So I, I learned how to, how to read much better from there, actually, and, and became just uh, a, a, an avid learner. I just loved it so much. So uh, coin magic was, was primarily the beginning. Um, so I just did a couple of coin tricks. My mom, you know, was kind of a tough audience, but she was very honest. And it was really good for me because when I brought it out to real people, um, you know, it was really tough for them to catch me because little did they know I'd been practicing for 20 hours with my mom saying again, again, again. You know. So what, what, how old were you like at the time where you started learning magic and, and, and yeah, just, yeah. And how did that, how did that affect um, your school? Like, were you still like a, a good student or what kind of student were you? And yeah, just tell us a little bit about school and magic. And both. Yeah, I was, I was a good student, but I didn't feel like I, I fit in really in a lot of ways, partly just because I, I was very different than a lot of my friends or colleagues at the time. I didn't really play sports at all. Um, wasn't very interested in that. Uh, but, you know, I, I love magic. I like to skateboard. And those weren't really popular things at the time. So, um, you know, I, I had to kind of break down some of the, the, the preconceived notions of who I was for, for a lot of people, I think. Um, so, yeah, I was, I, was, I was a good student, but I stuck to myself pretty much. Uh, there were times, I think, where my teachers would get frustrated with me for doing things like rolling a coin in class. And uh, uh, that was one thing that I do remember getting in trouble for in school quite a bit was rolling coins. And my teachers would say, you know, don't do that. You're distracting everybody. And I'd say, oh, but it helps me concentrate, you know. <laughs> um, it was just one of those things that I did subconsciously. Right. So were you thinking at that time that you would do magic as a professionally as a career? Or, or what was your career path? What did you think it was going to look like when you were in high school? And what were you going to do after high school? Yeah, I, you know, originally I had you know, a few other plans, but magic, it had a hold on me. You know, I really, really always wanted to do that, but I didn't know if it was possible. So I went to college for a year, just studied my basics. I wanted to study theater originally. Um, so I started going for that. And uh, in the process of studying for theater, started working more professionally as a magician. And it got to the point where it was kind of um, overflowing my schedule. Um, and eventually I I just went ahead and it went full, full fledged on that. So did you start performing in college or, or, or when did you kind of start performing for audiences that weren't just your family? Yeah, I was, uh, I was probably a little bit younger than you actually. I was 15 uh, when I got my first job at TGI Fridays. I do magic there every Sunday. Um, so I was yeah, going to school, uh, you know, at Verona middle school and my freshman year. And once I got done with school, I would, practice at home, work on new pieces or whatever else I was interested in. And then every Sunday I would have my, my big show that I would do. 
And um, I did that for about a year and a half. I loved it. Yeah. So how so what how did you transition into like a professional career of magic was that kind of like a tough to make yourself known how did you make your name known in the magic world and like how did you get into that world yeah those are all really good questions i originally um was was thinking about being a cook uh you know a chef i worked at at the marriott as a chef um ran out of school and i really liked cooking but i didn't like it as much as i liked magic and it was ironic because I was there one day at, at just working at the Marriott and they told me that there was a magic convention somewhere in one of the conference rooms. I thought they were just masking with me because they all knew that I did magic, uh, but they were telling the truth. There was a, like a world convention that was being held in one of the conference rooms. So I ended up kind of going in, taking a peek and saw this whole other world of magicians that were sharing secrets, something that I didn't realize was very common at the time. Um, and they had a competition. So I entered the competition, not really knowing what I was doing, or, you know, the, the entire uh, aspect of things. And they, they, they liked the, the, the performance a lot, um, but I didn't realize that I didn't register. <laughs> so they told me, you know, you can't win the competition when you weren't registered. So I got registered and uh, et cetera. But, um, you know, it was a, a, a learning experience. And then from there, I found out about another huge conference called the World Magic Seminar. And a few years later, uh, with just like a, a dollar and a dream, I took a bus out to the World Magic Seminar and I saw some of the best magicians in the world all performing. And I started to think, maybe this is something that I can do. You know, I didn't know really where I, where I uh, you know, if I was good enough, but I started to feel like maybe, maybe I am. And uh, two years after that, I went back and I, and I got third place. Wow. So were you able to just get like professional like gigs and stuff after that? Or what was your experience of, of trying to make yourself, you know, known in the magic world? Yeah, placing in the, in the, the world count changed everything. It gave me a huge confidence boost. It allowed me to realize that it was something that was very doable. I met a lot of other professional magicians that have been performing professionally for 15, 20 years, and making, you know, sometimes six figures a year kind of without anybody even knowing who they are. And once I realized that this, this whole other world of corporate entertainment existed, I knew that that was what I wanted. So I kind of wrote out my vision, made it really clear and plain, and uh, just took steps towards that every day uh, until eventually I, I kind of broke into the corporate market. And I had a, a Christmas one year where I, I think I booked like 22 shows. And uh, yeah, so it was just a lot more than I was used to making. And at that point, I decided to go ahead and just give everything I'd ever give, give what I could to it, you know? So were you living like in, in, in the greater Madison area or where, where were you living at this time? Yeah, I was living in, in Madison um, on, the, on the far west side, kind of actually really close to where I live now, um, behind West Hill Mall, uh, kind of Stargrass area. And uh, yeah, it was uh, an awesome experience. There were, there were a few other things that had happened during that period of time too. I started working at a magic shop in West Hill Mall called How'd You Do That? And so that was like my full-time job before I, I went full-time pretty much. And it gave me a lot of practice. It was sort of like a, my college in a way, practicing 12 hours a day right. for, you know, three, three years. Right. So what, how did you, did you have like an established show here or what kinds of magic were you performing when you would perform, do a gig or like a, a party or a corporate event? Like, were you doing close up or like, what was your, yeah, what was your approach there? 
Yeah, it started a close-up, actually. I would do a lot of close-up for, you know, high-end corporate shows. And uh, eventually started doing some stage work and just booked a, a lot of stuff here locally at first. And then eventually ended up uh, booking things in California because of the people that I met at the World Magic Seminar. And then I moved to L.A. for a year and a half. Spent a lot of time at the Magic Castle, just studying with the magicians that stayed there. And the Magic Castle is sort of like a, like almost like a mecca, for lack of a better phrase, for magicians. There's magicians from all over the world, and they're all there to try to advance the art of magic. So uh, it was just another education and, you know, how awesome the art form could be and infinite as far as learning. So what was that decision to, to move to L.A.? Did you... Was that a tough decision or did you know that that was what you had to do? And, and what was that experience at the, at the Magic Castle? Yeah, it was, it was a little scary, um, partly just because, you know, you're chasing a, a dream and a lot of people aren't going to support you necessarily in the sense of they're going to try to bring you back down to earth in a loving way. Um, so there were a lot of people who said, oh, you know, I don't know, there's a lot of people in L.A., you know, how many homeless people there are, you know, how many out of work entertainers there are, etc. And, um, you know, all those things were, were very valid. But the, the things that I learned in LA were, were priceless. And I was really lucky because, like I said, I met a magician that lived in LA at the World Magic Seminar. And he was actually the one who had placed uh, first place um, like two years before, and he was only 19. So he was, you know, a world champion in magic and had all these connections with superstars, et cetera. So he would give me shows to perform for people like Rob Reiner and Carl Reiner, and, um, you know, just uh, you know, the staff of the Young and the Restless and uh, of the Young and the Restless and, you know, just all kinds of celebrities. And it was just a great time, a really exciting time in my life. I had a blast. So what, what did you learn from that experience in, in L.A.? And, and when did you decide to come back or, or go where was next? Yeah, what was next? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, part of it was, uh, you know, I wanted to have a family. Um, and L.A. just wasn't necessarily the best place to, to start that. Um, so, you know, when... When I decided to, to go that route and, and have a family, I wanted to be in Madison. So we came back to Madison and, um, you know, I had my son, Hezekiah. And, uh, yeah, from there I started working at a casino called Ho-Chunk. And I performed there um, weekly for eight years. And it allowed me to, you know, spend time with my son and not have to travel constantly and still do what I love. So it was, it was a real, you know, blessing. I was super fortunate in that way. Right. So how is, what is that, um, gig like at the Ho-Chunk? Are you, what kind of magic are you, are you doing there? And, and had you expanded your horizon in, in, in magic and how, how do you, yeah, just tell us about a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, I was at Ho-Chunk. I still was working on other projects. Um, I started there doing stage shows, uh, in the bingo hall actually. So I'm trying to remember what it, what it would seat at the time, maybe, six seven hundred people so it was a really big room and it was much bigger than i was used to working but the first show went really really well and after that they asked me if i wanted to come out and do strolling magic i said absolutely um so i started doing that weekly and then we would do a big show maybe once every six months in the bingo hall and you know that just kind of went that way for seven eight years during that period of time though i you know i was still in contact with my friends in la 
um, Nathan had started working on uh, a TV special called Kings of Magic that ended up being on A&E. And um, from there, he started working on Masters of Illusion. And he was one of the, the, you know, had people on that project. So he called me out to work on a TV special called Don't Blink. And um, so we did Don't Blink, I had three spots in that. And then we also filmed for another TV special called Street Magic that was on CW. Um, and yeah, so that was an incredible experience. Also, during that period of time, I was creating magic with people from the magic shop that I worked on, you know, before Ho-Chunk. And uh, we created a piece that David Blaine had found out about. And so he called, uh, he started calling us and asking us, you know, to come out. It was one of those things that I didn't think was real, you know? Um, I thought somebody was prank calling us or something. So it didn't become really real for me until we got to LA and got into his office. I mean, got to New York and walked into his office and stood up out of his chair and said, oh, hey, I'm David. So yeah, I know who you are, you know. Um, it was what were really you, surreal. Yeah, what were you showing David or what did David want to see? Yeah. Uh, it, was a, it was a piece that originally, you know, was going to be for a stage show. Um, it has to do with, uh, with, an, with an email kind of a prediction. And, uh, you know, a mass email prediction. Anyway, the crazy thing was while we were there, we got to spend the whole day with him. It was, it was an awesome time. You know, he started off by offering uh, to let us feed his pet alligator because he has a, a pet alligator. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I, I politely declined, but I sat there and watched him <laughs> almost lose his fingers for, for about two hours. It was really entertaining. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just he's an entertaining person in general, um, just it's just a fascinating individual to be around. Anyway, uh, during that, that conversation, we found out that David Copperfield had found out about the trip as well. And he asked us if he could do it. Um, and of course I was ecstatic about it because of the full circle that had just happened. You know, he was one of the people that inspired me to, to get into magic and to be able to meet him and work with him. It was like a dream come true. Um, but yeah, eventually, uh, the people who own the magic shop, you know, they, they own more of the rights for it. So they sold it to, to Copperfield. But the whole thing kind of gave me uh, a lot of confidence as far as how valuable ideas are. And, you know, that maybe I had something to contribute. Yeah. So that brings me to my question. Who are you? who are you influenced by in the magic world? I mean, you gave a little bit like David Copperfield and David Blaine and, and whatnot, but uh, yeah, who are some of your influences or, or mentors or anything like that? Yeah. In the magic world. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, originally I was inspired by a guy named Paul Cockrell out of Albuquerque, New Mexico. And as I said, he was doing close to magic for a waitress. He was one of my brother's friends and I just thought magic was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. It was almost, you know, it was just, I couldn't believe that more people didn't do it. Um, to me, it, it was mind boggling. So uh, after that, I was really inspired by him. And he had basically told my brother to get Bubbles Coin Magic for me. And, you know, my stepbrother at the time got Bubbles Coin Magic for me. And I, I read it cover to cover, uh, was really into it. And from then on, I pretty much called Paul maybe once a year just to kind of touch base. I still talk to him to this day. I maybe talked to him a couple of days ago. So, uh, so Paul is, is, was a great inspiration, Paul Cockrell. Um, there was an, another magician out of here named Tom Kristoff, who was an excellent magician. I learned a lot from, uh, it was very helpful to me and, and kind to me when I was growing up. 
And then the, the magician that probably had the, the strongest impact on me was a magician named Mark Bond out of Milwaukee. And he was a magician that worked at the safe house. And I'd hear uh, stories about him since I was a kid about this magician at the safe house that would do, uh, you know, these amazing things. And finally I went out to the safe house and I, and I saw his performance and I was completely amazed. And I asked him if he'd mentor me and he, he said, yeah. And basically from there, it was a very intense learning process that I'd already learned a lot. You know, I'd spent a lot of time um, studying magic, but Mark was a master uh, of the art form. He, he, was like, uh, you know, Beethoven or something. It was pretty unreal to watch how he would think about every little detail and, and how he created magic. So eventually I started to kind of think like he did and, and it made me a much better magician. Um, so yeah, it was really surreal to study with him and then go to California and all these other places and just kind of waiting to see this next level and, and realizing that one of the best magicians alive was in my backyard and nobody even knew who he was. It was really wild. Yeah. So, so where are you performing now, and 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 how has COVID affected that? And, and... yeah, COVID's definitely been very difficult. Um, and it's one of those things that you'd never would have expected. So, trying to adapt and pivot through it has been less than ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, lately, I've been trying, like, kind of working more as a teacher. Uh, just to me, it feels more meaningful to teach magic. Uh, during this period of time. Um, but also, you know, I do a few one-off shows, really small gatherings. Uh, I had one last Saturday for campground. So it was basically uh, nine people just around a fire. And um, it was a lot of fun. I got to get something out of my system. I've been meaning to get out of my system for like 20 years. It's a trick with fire when my, my hands light on fire. And then I throw a flame at the fire and it lights on fire, you know, and then the, the whole fireplace lights up. Uh, so that was a blast to finally be able to do that. Unfortunately, I burned myself a little bit. I don't know if you can see that. Oh but. my gosh! <laughs> but you know, it was the price you pay, I guess. But yeah, I don't know. My uh, my mom wasn't really keen on the fire tricks, and now I see why. <laughs> you've been in in the magic scene for a little while now, and and you, I mean, you've been practicing it for a long time. So. How has the scene kind of changed since you got into it? I mean, if it has at all, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's changed a ton. Um, just the way that we view information is different now. So learning the secret to a magic trick is, isn't that difficult. You know, you can find a lot of secrets online, which was very uncommon when I was growing up. Um, besides that, just right now, in general, COVID changed everything to the point where you need to become somewhat a master at technology in order to express yourself uh, entirely as an artist nowadays. And that's very different because most most artists aren't very good with with technology, unfortunately. And you probably run into this a a little bit. Um, So that is something that's really important now that wasn't really important before. Um, And uh, just the way that you perform in general has to change. Uh, how you book shows, all those things are going to be influenced by what just happened. So you can't really just book off a reputation as much. I think now you might need to do a trick via Zoom to warm people up or something and then do a performance. So it's, it's a constant thing that's changing, but it also is interesting because it pushes us to evolve and to learn and to change as with it, you know? Um, what is it, the, the, necess- the necessity 
or the mother of all invention, you know, is necessity. So now, since there's the, um, you know, a demand to to evolve, people are becoming really creative, and that's been really interesting to watch and to see. With performing so many shows for corporate audiences, I mean, private parties, all this, the casino. How do you keep your shows fresh and new and how do you continually improve them and add to them? Tell us about just how you keep it fresh and new. Yeah. Um, as of recently, it's been kind of talking to other magicians. It's been a really nice thing, actually, because before everybody was working. So we were all so busy that we couldn't really um, have, you know, brainstorming sessions. But as of lately, I've been able to have brainstorming sessions with a lot of the magicians that I grew up admiring. And it's been a lot like, you know, great time, great fun and really inspiring. Um, before all this had hit, I was on a tour called Abracadabra. And that was like a, a national tour. So I got to meet other magicians that were headlining in Las Vegas and had performed in the world's, the world's greatest magic TV special I was talking about. Two of them were on that show. So that was just excellent to be able to learn from somebody that had been in it so much longer than I had and had done things that I'd only dreamed of doing, like having a successful Broadway production that ran for multiple years. You know, The Illusionist was a co-production of Brett Daniels and, um, you know, working with Jason Byrne and Dan Sperry and, and those guys has been really inspiring because they've been able to help me look at a lot of the things that I was afraid to do before as something that's really small because they've done things that are so much bigger. So it made these things that seem huge and, and big and possible to me before seem like really small things that are really manageable and, and easy to accomplish. Yeah. So what is the feeling that you get when you are performing or when you see, you know, someone who's fascinated by a trick or, or just perplexed or just tell us about that feeling? Uh, well, you know, the feeling of magic can be a lot of different things for a lot of different people. It's kind of like a good book. Um, it's, it's left to a lot of interpretation because basically what you can imagine is infinitely more impossible and amazing than anything I can show you. So if you can spark someone's imagination to, to think about something that's beyond this moment or beyond the trick to point to something more important than what it is, um, it could be life-changing really. Just because it, it, uh, it breaks down certain things that we take for granted. And, um, you know, it, it allows us to imagine infinite possibilities for a second. And one of the things that I think holds us back in life is uh, limiting beliefs, believing that something isn't possible. And when you really believe that it is, it becomes possible. Everything is impossible until somebody does it, you know? So with all this um, success in, in, in the magic world, how do you, where do you attribute it to? Um, you know, a lot of this, like, I know that I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for my mother. Um, fortunately, she passed away at the beginning of the year. Uh, so we dearly missed. Um, but yeah, a lot of it had to do with my mom believing in me and pushing me to do things that most parents wouldn't, you know. It, it, it was one of those things where I wanted to be a magician and she was like, that's great. That's amazing. Go for it. I believe in you. A lot of parents would have been a little freaked out by that, you know. Um, so uh, that was a huge, huge benefit and an advantage. Um, and then on top of that, my, my mentor, Mark Bond, uh, unfortunately passed away six years ago. Uh, I feel like I kind of carried the torch for him. Um, he definitely had a life-changing, uh, you know, he, was, he, he changed my life in, in great ways and, um, you know, inspired me as an artist.
immensely. Well, I mean, thank you so much for for doing this. Um, is there anything else? I mean, where where can you where can my listeners you know find you or or, or book you or what types of uh, shows are you doing now? Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, right now I'm doing magic classes. So if you're interested in learning some magic, uh, just for fun, you know, to to um, meet people or to you know maybe put a smile on somebody's face and try to make the world you know a, a little more um, interesting and and joyful uh i've got a, a lot of really cool pieces that i'm teaching um and then also uh you can find me on at magicofmatthew.com uh there's going to be some new projects that i'm putting up on there pretty soon and uh yeah um please keep an, an eye out as soon as all, the, as all this is done i'm going to put together a ticketed show and be doing those probably every weekend so i'm really looking forward to that and you know please keep an eye out for that as well yeah i mean is yeah is there anything else you want to tell the listeners or say to the listeners um yeah i mean i i I don't know just uh i don't know what i would say that wouldn't kind of come across as cheesy at the moment but i suppose the big thing is just to to never give up on your dreams and to always believe that there's value in them and um and know that there's a reason why you have them and uh and to sometimes just create just for the sake of creating it just for, for the, the fact that you were even given the idea um, in the first place. So uh, I guess, yeah, that's the big thing. It's just when you do that and you're doing something that you love and you're working on something that you love, the, the amount of joy that you get from that is, is really hard to describe. I'm sure you're probably getting a little bit of that now because, you know, you work on a podcast, you, you finish it, you feel really good about it afterwards probably, you know, because you're, you're working in your gift. Yeah, thank you so much for, for, for doing this. If you want more information about Matthew Teague or want to see his magic, go to his website, magicofmatthew.com, or click the link in the description of this episode. The Madisonian Podcast is a production of Benjamin Brownie in association with We Are Productions. It's hosted by me, Ben Brown, cover art, editing, producing, and booking by me. If you are a Madisonian and would like to be on the show, just email us at benjaminbrownieproductions at gmail.com. Please support us by buying our merch using our holiday promo code HOLIDAY in all caps for 10% off our merchandise 